Summer is our favorite time of year. We live in Los Angeles, so the weather is beautiful and the options are endless. I personally love going to the Hollywood Bowl. It's on my summer bucket list every summer. Steph, what's on your summer bucket list? My summer bucket list is going to be healing from my surgery this summer and going to your wedding. That's coming up too. That'll be (laughs) – by the time this episode airs, that'll be days away, I think. (laughs) Very exciting. Summer is also our chance to get done all the things we avoid because we're too busy during the school year. And for me, that means purging my closet of clothes I no longer wear and clothes that no longer spark me joy. I'm a huge fan of Marie Kondo's approach and the magical art of tidying up and highly recommend that as a summer read. Just like summer is an opportunity for me to enjoy myself and to get some less desirable tasks done. The would-be-nice list. The would-be-nice list. The same is true for our clients. Summer is a time to relax, slow down the pace, and build some skills. Join us as we talk about what to do with your child over the summer on this episode of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Welcome, Smarties, to episode 09 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Kapp. And in this episode, we're going to talk about what to do with your child over the summer. And we know a lot of you, summer is hard because you're trying to plan what to do with your kids. So that's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about how you can do things at home and how ed therapy works during the summer. So it's really important, I think, to talk about how Rachel and I are very big about letting kids be kids and allow them to have the summer because they've earned it. And ed therapy over the summer is about using the skills and strengthening them and previewing some of the stuff for next year in a more fun way. What would you add, Rach? I would add that summer is a much more relaxed time. We negotiate summer usually in May, meaning we have a conversation with our clients in May about whether or not we even make the recommendation for summer. Summer is usually a slower time in the business because for a lot of kids, we feel pretty strongly that we either want to reduce from two sessions to one session a week, or we only want to see them for a short period of time and do a more intensive approach. And kids also have a lot of other commitments over the summer, including travel, including camp, including family weekends. It's just not as consistent. And that's okay. Steph and I work fewer days over the summer. But this is just an example of how we're deeply committed to what works best for our child. There are a couple of ways that we determine whether or not we make the recommendation to see kids over the summer and with what frequency to see kids over the summer. And this is our first kind of key takeaway, which is know your kid. Some kids can take a summer off from quote-unquote school, and some kids need to use it as an opportunity to catch up. So we recommend you ask yourself the following questions. What are my child's strengths? What are my child's areas of weakness? What did the teacher tell me throughout the year? 
we hope that you can use report cards and conversations that you had with your child's previous teachers as a guiding force in determining what kind of summer you'd like them to have. Steph, what would you add? I think know your kid and figure out, which I'm always such a big supporter of, is doing things that involve learning when they don't realize they're learning. And that is such a huge game changer that you can use games. Absolutely. You can go to museums. You can do all of these different learning things. And remember, social learning is also a big part of learning. And they do a lot of that over the summer when they're going to camps and whatnot. So there's a lot of things that you can do with your kid. And it doesn't have to be sitting down doing a worksheet. Right. And so that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this episode, so that we could give you guys some ideas on things that might work for your student. So the first and foremost thing that we think is really important for kids to do over the summer and continue to do is reading. The biggest reason that I say this personally from a perspective is that between first and second grade, I didn't read over the summer. And when I started second grade, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Rach, but I forgot how to read. Over the summer, you forgot how to read? Yeah. I for, I didn't know that. I for sure. I don't know how much I had really mastered by the end right. of first grade. But definitely when I started second grade, I didn't know how to read because I definitely wasn't keeping up with it and strengthening it over the summer. So mm. that was a huge lesson. Um, I think my parents didn't realize that I hadn't grasped it as much as they thought I had and whatnot. Right. So I had to play a lot of catch up. So f- this is a personal thing for me. And I know my mom's listening to this. And, you know, it was a big learning experience, I think, for all of us, because I'm also the eldest child. So whatever you can do, just remember that reading is important, no matter the age of your student. And we know a lot of kids don't love the actual act of reading. So We'll be doing a deep dive on reading in an upcoming series. One of the biggest tricks is don't call it reading. If they're young enough to get away with it, it can be called story time because cultivating a love of stories, words, and language is so critical for things as they grow older. Some ideas that we have about doing these sorts of things is reading a book as a family This is a great opportunity to ask questions and make predictions and check for comprehension and work on things like main idea and summaries and vocab. For Steph and I, and we have not talked a lot about reading on this podcast yet, but like Steph said, we will do a series on reading. For us, it counts if the student is listening to an audiobook or a podcast. Absolutely, if they're listening to a podcast, as long as they are interacting and engaging with words and stories and following an idea throughout a period of time, that is enough. Now, if you're working with the students specifically, if if decoding, which is breaking down the words, is a challenge, then my favorite tip is to throw an audiobook on and have the student follow along in the book so that they can see the pictures as well. It'll help strengthen the decoding and it'll help strengthen the comprehension. And those are the two main parts of reading. As a family, we used to listen to audiobooks on long road trips. And this was another way that 
my parents could check our comprehension. My mom was a teacher, so she was helping us with making predictions and making sure we understood big ideas and vocabulary. Oftentimes, my parents would pitch higher than where we were as readers, yeah, which is fine because our language had surpassed our decoding skills. So it was fine that they were meeting us in that way. And I think I tell parents too, some of them get concerned if a kid is reading, newly reading chapter books and you read a different book as a family. And I remind them that that's actually a really good thing because Mm -hmm. how many times in life do you just focus on one thing? Never. Right? You have to remember different things about different situations and things that are going on. So have your kid continue to read that chapter book on their own and do a book together as a family. Absolutely. It also is nice bonding time yeah. for the family. And everybody can take a turn reading a chapter if, if your child feels prepared enough or let them know that it's going to be their turn to read a section of the book that you guys are reading as a family if they're slightly insecure so that you can go over it with them ahead of time so that they have an opportunity to see it before they have to, quote unquote, perform for their family. Yeah, they're previewing it. So yep. if, if you read something like Harry Potter as a family, yep. and even if you have little ones, but if you have bigger ones that can read a sentence or two even, that's great. And then you guys can always follow it up with the movie. When we do our deep dive on reading in our reading series, you might be surprised to know that Steph and I actually think it's okay to see the movie before reading the book too. Yep. You know, however you kind of want to approach this, however it works for your family, as long as you're engaging with words. Right, Steph? Yeah, engage with words. That's good. Exactly. So you had another idea about reading. Yeah, I just added it in. Steph and I write a Google Doc outlining every episode. So as she was talking, I added in this idea of read a menu. And so lots of families go out to eat at restaurants if you're so fortunate to be able to do that. And if you know you're going to be going to a restaurant, even if it's a restaurant that's familiar for your child, you can say, hey, can you do me a favor? I really want to eat something different tonight. And we're going to, let's say, CPK. California Pizza Kitchen, in case you guys don't know. Or California Chicken Cafe, which is (laughs) me. Steph and I love that restaurant. And you can say, hey, I really want to do something different. Can you do me a favor? Can you go online and research a couple of different options for me and have them go and read the menu? And there are pictures there, too, which are going to cue them in and say to them, I'd really love a new salad idea and a new pizza idea if they're going to California Pizza Kitchen. So you give them very specific tasks. It makes them feel important. Obviously, your child has to be of a certain age to think this is a fun activity. But what I'm saying is there's just opportunities for reading in everyday life. You don't actually have to do anything really extra. And even at the grocery store. We're going to talk about the grocery store because that's another, when we talk about strengthening executive functioning over the summer, yeah, that's something that everybody has to do. Yeah, And the earlier you can teach your kid how to be successful in a grocery store, I mean, I'm still learning, <laughs> the better, right? Yes. Uh, okay. The next area that you can work on with your child over the summer is on writing. So this is another area that can be really difficult for a lot of students because they're looking at a blank page. And whenever you're looking at a blank page that you're supposed to fill with your own thoughts and ideas, it can be somewhat overwhelming. But it does not have to be an academic exercise. And one of the ways you can do this and make it fun is have your child start a blog over the summer. That can be online. That can be in a notebook. I know one of the things that I do when I'm on vacation, and I already bought a notebook that I'm going to do this for 
my upcoming honeymoon is I write down everything that we did that day in notes. I don't use complete sentences, but it's just my kind of keepsake. When I studied abroad my junior year, I studied abroad in Rome. I have this like valuable and I'm very connected to this notebook because I wrote down what I did every day of study abroad because I knew it was this like kind of incredible once in a lifetime experience. And the fact that I can go back to like April 12th of 2008 and see what I ate that day. It's a good idea. I have these notebooks for lots of family trips and for those more meaningful moments. And how amazing would it be to have a blog like that note style for your family summer. So then when you're at the end of summer, you can look back and see, oh my goodness, look how much we did. And let me preface this blog thing with what I've encountered with kids about a diary. And the reason why we're specifically calling it a blog, because kids these days don't really know what a diary is. No. And they all know what a blog is. So what your version of a diary and their version of a blog is really could be the same thing. So that's why we're we're calling it a blog because the buy-in will be much higher. Yeah. If you notice, Steph and I rename things all the time to make it sound more appealing to students. What's another idea that you have for writing stuff? So if you take your kid to a sporting event or something that they like to do, you can have them write an article about it. Like if they were writing in the newspaper and telling it to another family member that didn't get to go, or even if they want to record it, you can have them write something and they can stand in front of you and you can use your iPhone and record it or have just their voice. So anything like that. I love the idea of an article too, because you can give them a framework. In a newspaper article, the W's, the who, what, the where, the when, and sometimes the why of what the article is talking about is usually very upfront in the first couple of sentences. And that's really a good rehearsal for students in elementary school who are just beginning the process of writing is to hit all those key main points. You can also have your child write a play and potentially perform it if they're really like performing in front of people. I've had kids that I've worked with when I was homeschooling write a play off of a book we read together. Mm. And then they performed it for everybody and actually included their siblings, created parts for them. Mm -hmm. And so they all practiced, everybody practiced reading and performing it and all of that. And it was really fun. The kids really got a kick out of it. And when we're talking about writing, not every student, and believe me, Steph and I work with enough students to know this, not every student wants to sit down and physically write or type something out. And so they can absolutely generate the ideas and have somebody else type it. They don't have to be the ones actually putting the input into a word processor or on a piece of paper. It's just about generating ideas and putting them in order and having it make sense. And sidebar, using summer as an opportunity to become a wonderful typist is an excellent use of summer. Mm-hmm. And you can also do voice to text in Chrome or on a Google Doc. You can do it in a Word Doc too. Another fabulous idea, and Steph, I'm not sure you and I have ever talked about this. Do you know what story wars are? I remember you had a client who was doing it, and it was you 
go online and you can put part of a story and then right. somebody else adds on to the story right. and it's just back and forth. Right. So you're kind of generating a story with a stranger on the internet. I had students who were very similar and working on very similar things and were interested in similar topics. So they were actually writing a story together. They had never met, but every time they came into the office, they were like, can I read what your other, like they didn't even know the name of the other student who was writing on this story, but they were just generating this story. And then they would read what the other person had written. And then the other person had written guiding questions also for them to answer in their paragraph. So they were guiding each other on where the story was going to go. And they kept asking me questions about what the other student wanted to have happen. And I'm like, it's totally up to you. But storywars.net is the website that you can go to to kind of write a story with somebody else. So you write a chapter at a time. It has to get submitted and approved on the website. But maybe your child has a friend who's of similar mindset and the two moms are are working together on this to get their kids to write over the summer. Kids really love it because it's exciting to open up and say, what did my friend write? Or what did Rachel's other client write? That's fun. It was fun. You can also have them do a podcast and just record it on your phone. It's a lot simpler than the way we're recording this podcast, yeah. but it's absolutely an option of if they're an expert in a certain area or even if they're not and they just want to talk. Generating ideas and generating content is what we're all about. The next area that would be great for you to work on with your student is math. And there's a lot of math aversion out there. So we were trying to come up with some ideas that might be really fun for you guys as a family to work on. And the first one we thought of is Having a casino night, right? That sounds kind of weird, but love. You can teach kids how to play blackjack. And I know, Rach, this is one of the bigger things. You do this often. I do this a lot. Yeah. And you do it with jelly beans, right? Right. Yeah. You're betting with jelly beans. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, even though it sounds a little bit, you know, some people might go, hmm, I'm not sure if I want to teach my kid gambling. The thing is, is you don't have to necessarily call it blackjack. They don't need no. to know what it is. It's just a card game. Exactly. And it teaches fast math. Absolutely. And they love it because they get jelly beans at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? Another easy way of incorporating math into your summer is giving your child an imaginary budget. So you can tell them, okay, you have X amount of dollars at this certain store that you love. Let's imagine you have, it really doesn't matter the amount because you're actually not spending the money, but let's imagine you have $100 at a store that you love. Now go online, figure out what you would buy with that money, but you have to have money left over. And if they come and then you're teaching them money awareness, how much you can actually get for $100. Plus, you're giving them this challenge of trying to come in and on budget. And you can always throw a reward in and pick the lowest cost item and say, okay, you came in on budget. Now we're going to go get you that item. You don't have to plan in that reward. It's just a fun exercise that you can do with your child that is incorporating math skills. If your child is older, absolutely have them understand tax. You can do the same thing if you live in a state that has tax on items, but you can absolutely do the same thing at a restaurant and say, okay, if we only have $50 as a family to spend at this restaurant tonight, what can we get as a family? And include tax and tip. You're teaching them some real life skills by having them create a budget. You can also have them wear a Fitbit and have them set a goal and figure out how many steps they need each day to achieve the goal. 
or halfway through the day after camp, have they achieved the goal? After camp, maybe you need to see how many steps are left to achieve that goal. Another idea that would strengthen math over the summer is to have them learn time awareness or deepen their awareness about time and how long things actually take. So you can have an activity that you're going to do as a family and you can talk about what's our prediction for how long this is going to take or how long do we need to get ready for something versus how long it actually took to get ready or to do this activity. Do they tend to be right? Do they tend to be wrong? Build that awareness because it will increase their accuracy over the long term, which is so crucial when you're coming into the school year to know how long things take you and to know how long a minute actually is. For some people, a minute is super fast. For some people, a minute is super slow. It also depends. I mean, Steph, you do the minute exercise with your kids where – do you want to explain it? Basically, I have – especially for the older kids, I have them – we learned this at a workshop and – yep. I have them stand up and I time a minute on my phone and they cannot count in their head or do any sort of counting to try to figure out how long the minute is. And when they think it's a minute, they need to sit down. And so that's the first part of the exercise. And I took it a step further because a lot of the kids struggle with watching YouTube or being on social media. So I tell them, let's say they sit down at 44 seconds and they've thought it's a minute. Then I have them go on their phone on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever it is that they're kind of addicted to and do the exercise again and have them sit down when they think it's a minute. And I've had kids that have sat down at three plus minutes thinking that it's just a minute. It really builds some awareness. Yeah. (laughs) Steph and I are really in love with this next section because you can take summer as an opportunity to work on executive functioning skills with your student. If you don't know what executive functioning is, be sure to go back and listen to episode five of the Learn Smarter podcast called Executive Functioning and Why Everyone is Talking About It. Because in that episode, we highlight why it's so important because it's so pervasive for everything. So here are three or four ideas that Steph and I have of ways of strengthening executive functioning skills. A lot of these things you're probably already doing and you don't even realize are building EF skills. EF is our shorthand for executive functioning. And the first is cooking. And the reason cooking is such a great executive functioning skill is because there's seven or eight. And if you really want to break it down, there could be 11 or 12 steps of cooking. The first being find a recipe. The second step of cooking is figuring out what you have versus what needs to be bought and making a list. The third is planning to go to the store. You have to have a plan of when you're going to go. Otherwise, it'll never happen. The fourth is actually going to the grocery store and finding everything that you need. Again, this is building some life skill awareness for your child. And they're an active participant in the whole process, as opposed to you just having them cook in the last step with you. Go ahead, Steph. And you can also put in the budget right there. Ah, great idea that we don't want to go over this budget. And so then you're incorporating math simultaneously. The fifth step is coming home and getting everything ready to cook, assuming you're doing it right away, which we would recommend you kind of do it in one big step in one chunk of time. And then the sixth step breaks down executive functioning even more because you're actually following the step-by-step instructions of whatever you're cooking. 
this is a great way to get kids to try something new, by the way, because if they're involved in the whole process of selecting the meal and you can absolutely give them a choice of these are the three recipes I'm willing to cook tonight, especially if you're a healthy eater and it could be three things that they're less excited about eating. And there's also if let's say you're making cookies. Mm hmm. And this is a really good lesson for when kids realize that you have to add the ingredients in a certain order. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Right. So you have to follow directions. So for kids that tend to skip over directions, this is a really good learning experience because just let them go with it. And, you know, yeah, you might have to buy more ingredients then, but then they can see what happens and what it tastes like. Like, let's go back. It's what a happens? great idea. It's a great idea. At a certain point, you can absolutely say, okay, I'm marking our cookbook or I'm marking the recipe at this point. You've now chosen to do what you want. Now, this is assuming you have the flexibility of your day to do this. And then we're going to have to come back and follow these directions after. So I think that's a fabulous idea, Steph. Thanks. And then the last step of cooking is getting the table ready and preparing everything to be served. It's a lot of work to plan a meal. And oftentimes students don't realize or kids don't realize. And these are some life skills that we're building in. And it's an executive functioning project. And feel free to use the language. There's a lot of planning. There's a lot of organizing involved. We have to make a list. Feel free to use the word executive functioning because language does matter here. Steph, what's another idea for building executive functioning skills over the summer? So a lot of kids, especially the younger ones, love Legos, right? I'm sure you're stepping all over them. <laughs> so if you don't already have a Lego set and you want to go to to the store and buy one. You could potentially do this as a reward. You could put this in with the budget, etc. But the really great thing about building a Lego is reading the instructions. And this goes for any game you play too. Let your child decipher the instructions and then explain them to the group or to you. So you're following the instructions to create this Lego. And you have to make sure that you have all the pieces, that maybe you put them aside into categories. And if, maybe if the toy already comes, the Lego comes with them separated, maybe you mess them up without the kid realizing so that they can practice separating them themselves. And then you need to go through each step and figure out what pieces you'll need for each specific step and where they go. This really practices all the different parts that you need in order to go through completely with a task. And you might also have, if you don't want to get a new set or you don't have the instructions, you might have your child draw what they want to build and create an instruction booklet for how to put it together and have you put it together. Great. I love that. Because it also forces them to be an explicit communicator. And if you're not able to do it in the way that they've drawn it or the way that they've explained it, well, then they need to go back and redo it. So you can actually intentionally get like misunderstand uh -huh. their instructions. Uh -huh. Steph and I will do this with a client and it forces them to get more specific. It strengthens their writing simultaneously. Another idea, and I love this one, is creating a family fun list or partnering with your child to plan a vacation that's doable or creating a family fun day. So a family fun list is deciding as a family all the fun things you want to do over the summer. 
Let it be aspirational. Nothing's off the table. Let it be ridiculous. I think you'll probably be surprised by some of the really sweet things that kids want to do with their parents over the summer. I've had a family do this and the kids wrote really simple things like go on a family walk. And it's just really sweet to see. Oh, that's cute. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. Then what you can do is have them help you plan out all these activities on a family calendar. You're going to hear us talk about this episode time and time again. Go back and listen to episode two of How to Calendar because using a family calendar and having a team effort to plan out the fun things that you're going to do together teaches them forward planning, teaches them executive functioning, teaches them calendaring. And these are all things that we're huge advocates for. Now, you're not married to the list. If your child writes, let's go on a trip to Disney World, the visualization of it may bring it to fruition. You never know. But if that's not something that's realistic, that's okay. There's a million other ideas. And believe me, your kids are going to remember what you did do and how much of the list you did accomplish. And then, of course, you can always figure out the percentage that you've done of the list and how many more you have to go. There's a lot. Of, nice. Yeah, there's a lot of ways of bringing math into this. In terms of planning a vacation, this is not doable for all families. Even if it's just a day vacation, even if you're just driving somewhere, that counts too. You have to create things like a budget. You have to do research on where the activity is and how long it'll take to get there. So you're going on Google Maps, right? And you're seeing if you're going to go to several places. If you're living in Southern California, maybe it's just a drive to Santa Barbara, which is a couple of hours away, or San Diego. If you're living elsewhere, I'm sure that there are similar places that are small distances away that you could do pretty cheaply. So you actually have to then plan out the actual day. So using your calendar and writing it out and having them work on this. So this includes what time are you going to leave, what you will need to bring, when you will eat and where, or if you're going to bring food, which comes into the menu planning and and practicing all of that like we spoke about. And then gathering all the things you will need for the day and putting it by the door the night before. And that's just like your child should be doing with their backpack the night before school. And very important is just make sure that the kids are also having fun, which I'm sure that they will. But all of these things together are really practicing all of the planning that is really required for life. Absolutely. The last thing that I really am big about, and I do this with a lot of my clients over the summer, is creating a board game. And the reason is because there's so many different components that you can put in to creating a game. And there's this sense of ownership that the kids love, especially if I leave it in my office and have other kids play their game, which they all love when I tell them. So I do this with just getting a poster board and we talk about planning. What's the main idea of the game? What is the board going to look like? Writing out the rules, All of those things that you have to do before you actually make the board because a lot of kids just want to sit down and just start drawing or coloring and you need to do all of these different things in order to create a successful game. And that includes actually playing the game with the rules that they've set out and problem solving when it doesn't work quite right and there are kinks in the plan. And then you can also have Your kids teach you how to play or teach their friends how to play. All of these different things together add up to creating a task 
and following through and all the different steps and things that they're going to have to do, like a project in school or just all the things they're going to have to do when they're an adult. So this is really good practice for executive functioning. We hope you've enjoyed all our ideas and understand that these everyday things that you're already doing in your home, you can turn into a challenge or you can turn into skill building. If you just start thinking about activities in a slightly different way or say, how can I add math into this? Or how can I add reading or writing into this? It doesn't often require a lot of extra work because there are things that you're likely doing anyway. And it all works together to kind of strengthen whatever area your child needs to strengthen. Of course, ed therapists are also available over the summer. Tutors are available over the summer if you have some very specific goals. And summer's a great time to preview more information. But we like this idea of using the everyday things to build some skills. Bye, Smarties. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Learn Smarter Podcast or join our Facebook group, Smarties of the Learn Smarter Podcast. Or if you're interested in working with us one-on-one, you can go to the Work With Us section on our website at learnsmarterpodcast.com. And we'd love to be able to connect with you there. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.